Um, and what we've been talking about is the life of Joseph, right? And what we've been working our way towards is the, the subtitle of the life of Joseph is Integrity in Adversity. And, and if you know anything about the story of Joseph, and you know life started off good, he was the favorite son, you know, dad treated him more special than the rest of his brothers, and then they sold him into slavery. And then, you know, another bad thing happened, and another bad thing happened, and, and he had a lot of really bad turns in his life, but somehow, some way, Joseph held on to his integrity. Joseph was always a man of high character, right? And I don't know if you guys, most of you were in here uh, for our relationship study, and, and if you've ever had a relationship, a friendship with somebody that just has high integrity. Those are the kind of people you want to surround yourself with, right? Those are the kind of people, you, if you need them, you can count on them. If you need them to tell you the truth, they're going to tell you the truth, right? Even if it's hard to hear, they care about you. They're going to do the right things for the right reasons. And we've been looking at that uh, over the past couple of weeks. We're going to look at that word integrity here in just a minute again. But, but man, I don't know about you, but I want my friends to look at me and say, Matt is a man of integrity. I can count on Matt to do the right thing. I want God to look at me and say, Matt is my son, and he's a man of integrity, like he said about Job. Consider my son Job, right? He's incredible because he does the right thing, because it's the right thing to do, regardless of circumstances or pressures or any of those type of things. And so that's, that's what we want to be as believers. That's what we want to be as friends, right? And so integrity, if you look on your sheet, we've got a few verses here. Psalm chapter 7, verse 8. And if we think about Joseph's life as we're reading these verses, Joseph exemplified these things, right? The Lord shall judge the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to mine integrity that is in me. Joseph is certainly a man that could have said that to God because Joseph knew what God is going to judge is according to God's word. Right? And, and Joseph lived a life according to God's word. He lived in obedience to God. So he could say, and, and Job's all, another one that says this, and we'll see this maybe in a couple of weeks, Job 31 is, is a chapter where Job says, go ahead and put me in the balance, God, and weigh me. Oh man, if you know what that means, he's, he's saying, God, analyze my life and tell me where I've messed up. He's just putting it all out there for God to just say, okay, let's see who you really are. And Job was a man of integrity, and he was able to do that with minimal fear, right? I would have some apprehension. But man, every once in a while, it's good to just say, hey, God, is, is there something wrong with me? Am I, am I seeing something wrong? Is there pride in my life that's keeping me blinded? We've seen pride over the past couple of weeks. It's an ugly and, and crazy deceiving thing. And it's hard to know that you even have the problem because it is the problem, and it blinds you. Psalm 26, verse 1, he says, Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in my, mine integrity. I have trusted also in the Lord, therefore I shall not slide. Right? Integrity ties, your, ties you close to God. You're not going to backslide because you're doing the right things for the right reasons. You're, you're tied to God. You're asking him to judge you and keep you on track. Psalm 41, 12. And as for me, thou upholdest me in mine integrity. And set us me before thy face forever. Right? Who's going who's gonna to help you stay of high moral character? Who's going to help you stick close to integrity? Well, God is. Right? And, and the only way you're going to do that is if you stay in his word. And so tonight we're going to see just a few things. Go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 39. 
Genesis 37 was the story where we're introduced to Joseph, and we see his crummy brothers, who I'm still not a fan of yet. You know, we'll get further in Genesis, and, and they, they make a turnaround, but it takes some trials, right? But in Genesis 30, 37, the best word that I can come up with for his brother is just, those guys are turds. That's it. That's the best thing I can say. These guys are terrible, right? Low morals, selfishness. We saw all those opposites of integrity last week. Well, Genesis 38 is, is a prime example of Judah's low integrity, right? He, he goes off, and, and if you want to read that later, you can, and then it picks back up with Joseph after he's sold into slavery, and we're going to see that in, in Genesis 39. Go ahead and read with me. Uh, we're going to just go verse 1 through 6, and then uh, we'll ri- get rolling into the, the study sheet. Verse 1 says, And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down hither, thither. Uh, and the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a very or a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and served him, and he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. And it came to pass, from the time that he had made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. Let's go ahead and pray, and, and we'll jump into the, the study sheet. Lord, thank you so much uh, for this story. Thank you for the picture that Joseph is of you, yourself, our Lord and Savior. He's an incredible picture because he went through incredible trials, and he maintained integrity. You, Lord, we know, went through the biggest trial and gave your life for us sinless, perfect. And we didn't deserve it, but you loved us so much you did it anyway. And so, Lord, we're thankful for that. We're thankful for the picture that Joseph presents for us. We're, we're thankful for the instruction that we can get out of this so that we can be men and women of integrity ourselves. Uh, we want to please you with our lives. We want other people to know you uh, because we know you. And we know not just what you can do for us, but that you love us and that you care for us and, and that you want to make us better. And Lord, I just pray that you would do those things in our hearts tonight. I pray that our hearts would be soft and ready to receive what you have for us. Uh, we love you. We thank you for your instruction. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, so when I was reading, excuse me, I'm thirsty tonight. It was Frisbee again last night. And I sweated a lot and it was gross and I recover slow anymore. All right, so I was reading this passage, just read it and read it and read it and read it, trying to figure out, you know, what is this? What is it that God's wanting to teach here? And I kept noticing there was three different phrases, and each one of those phrases were repeated two times. All right, and so if you know anything about Bible study, when God repeats himself, that's God's way of, you know, scribbling with a big highlighter over, over what he's saying. He's saying. He's saying it, and he's saying it again, right? He says it again because normally... I gloss over the first time he says something, and then I notice, oh, he said that again. Why? I wonder why he said that again. So we're going to look at those three statements that he uh, doubled up on us, and then we're going to have like a key word that we can learn from 
those statements. And the first one, it's on your sheet. Uh, the first thing that he repeats is that Joseph was brought down to Egypt. All right, Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and, and the key word we're looking at here, and what we're going to see from this phrase, is humility. All right, and, and this is a drum we're going to never stop beating around here, because God is all about humility. Right? God, God responds in favor to us when we approach him humbly. That's just the way it works. All right, and so many times when you see this phrase brought down or going down or falling down, it has a very negative connotation, all right? It's, it's, it's a, a bad thing to be brought down. Uh, the story of Joseph is, is no exception, and, and when he's brought down into Egypt, it's a bad thing for Joseph. All right, so let's look, we're going to look at a couple other passages and, and see this phrase or similar phrases, and then we'll come back to this uh, passage in Genesis 39 and compare the two. Psalm 20, verse 8 says, They are brought down and fallen. But we are risen up and stand aright, or upright. So brought down and fallen. How many times have you fallen and it's been a good thing? I don't remember any. Except for when I fell on my knees, right? In humility before the Lord. Psalm 30, verse 3. O Lord, thou hast brought up my soul from the grave. That's a good thing. Thou hast kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Down is bad, right? Psalm 107, 12, therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down. There was none to help. This is a bad, dire situation, right? Being brought down. Isaiah 5, 15, and the mean man shall be brought down. The mighty man shall be humbled. The eyes of the lofty shall be humbled. All right, so this idea of being brought down is, is always or most often associated with learning humility. Or, or being brought down to humility when, when you're arrogant and prideful. Uh, some of the other verses, again, they're, they're on your sheet. Those other verses are, are just more instances of this phrase. Zechariah 10, 11, it says, And he shall pass through the sea with affliction, and shall smite the waves in the sea, and all the deeps of the river shall dry up. And check it out. And the pride of Assyria shall be brought down. And the scepter of Egypt shall depart away. All right, so not only is this phrase brought down negative, Egypt is almost every single time a negative thing. And we're going to see that in just a minute. Being brought down is a bad thing. Being brought down to Egypt is a really bad thing. That's a bad deal. You don't want to go to Egypt. All right, and I've said this before, and, and I'll say it again. There, there's no indication that Joseph was you know, standing on a pulpit of pride when he was sharing his dreams with his brothers. We want to jump to that conclusion. We want to say Joseph was just arrogant. Joseph was prideful because he was the favorite. That's why his brothers hated him. It, it does not indicate that. That's not necessarily something you can draw from the passage. That might be true, but you don't see it from God's word. Right? He, he might have had those things. What, what is interesting is you know, God... In the men and women he wants to use, and in men and women he wants to develop integrity into, he, he has a habit of bringing us all down, whether we're struggling with pride or not. Life has struggles, and struggles are actually something that helps you. And hopefully we'll see that before we're finished tonight. So scripture shows us 
that the person that God is going to use will have to go through some sort of proving process, whether he or she is prideful or not. It's just part of the deal. If the individual is prideful, you can guarantee two things, right? It's going to be a tougher lesson (laughs) if you're prideful because you've got further to fall. And, you know, God will eventually break that person. Now, breaking that person does not necessarily mean he's going to break them to submission. They may break and never function the same again, like Pharaoh, right? God broke Pharaoh, or God, you know, approached Pharaoh in his pride, and he hardened himself, and he hardened himself, and he hardened himself, and then it was too far gone, and then God wiped him out, right? Pharaoh's pride he never recovered from. God broke him and and ended him. Pharaoh is a, you know, a good example of a, of a poor excuse. Don't be like Pharaoh. God certainly brings down the prideful. He also brings down those he desires to use, whether prideful or not. So let's look at our passage again, and let's see how Joseph was brought down. In Genesis 39, verse 1, again, it says, Joseph was brought down to Egypt. And again, if you know anything about Egypt in the Bible, it, it was not the land of promise. Right? The Israelites had a land they were supposed to go through, go to and stay there. Right? If you've been in the dispensation class, you know that there was a famine, and, and, and right, we'll see it in you know, the Joseph story as well. They end up leaving the land of promise to go into Egypt to be saved from you know, this famine. But the problem was they stayed, and they stayed, and they stayed, and God had to put them under you know, severe Uh, persecution to get them to even want to get out. And even then they wanted to go back, right? So they went down to Egypt. Egypt is not a, it's not the promised land. It's, It's a land full of paganism, a land full of godless, not, you know, God hating system, right? They're, they're a system that makes themselves out to be gods. The Pharaoh believed those, those men believed that they were gods and needed to be worshiped. They are their own authority. It's a system we see through Pharaoh. He, he has no fear of God. He has no desire to follow God. So looking at Joseph, Joseph went from a land of promise, is your blank, to a cursed and godless land. That's a bad move, right? And obviously this isn't Joseph's fault. This happened to Joseph, right? But the fact is he's being humbled. He's being brought down. He went from the land of promise to a godless land. The rest of Genesis 31 says he went down, was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him at the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. So Joseph went from being the favorite son to being a slave. He went from being number one to being nobody, really. He went from being the favorite son to being a slave. Joseph also went from Dreaming of being a ruler to being ruled over, right? Not just, you know, having a boss. (laughs) Like, even if you have a bad boss, it's not a ruler, right? It's not a slavery situation. It's, It's still better than what Joseph had. So Joseph has been brought down. Joseph has been humbled. And again, we we don't know if Joseph needed this because of a character flaw God points more to this and says, look, this is just what needs to happen for the man who's going to eventually rule. 
I've got incredible plans for Joseph, but Joseph's got to go through some stuff to learn some things about himself and most importantly about me. And he's not going to learn those things if he just steps up on the throne over his brothers after the dream, is he? God's got to develop some character in Joseph. So the next repeated phrase is, this is an awesome one. This is a promise that you can take with you in any adverse situation, the worst that that could possibly happen to you. The second phrase is, the Lord was with Joseph. I mean, I I don't know about you, but in the worst of the worst, the creator of the universe, his son is with you wherever you go. The Lord was with Joseph. And the key word we're looking here looking for here is faithfulness, right? If we say that God is faithful, we're saying that we can, we can at any time and any place and any situation call on him and he'll be there. He's faithful, right? And I've said this before, I can't look over my shoulder into my history and, and see a time where God was not faithful. He's always been faithful. Amen. Now, I've made, I've made plenty of mistakes. I'm kind of an idiot that way. But I look back and he hasn't made any mistakes, and he's picked me up every time, and he's forgiven me every time, and he's dusted me off, and, and he is faithful every time. If we're saying that we're faithful, normally, you know, we could, we'll say the same kind of thing. If he's a faithful guy, you can count on him. Or you can be full of faith. Right? And so these two things go hand in hand. And this is one of those things that people get twisted up because they don't understand how God works with mankind and how how God relates to us and how God communicates to us and what God is actually requiring. A lot of people think that that God's either just going to do what God wants to do and there's nothing anybody can say or do about it, which he is that powerful, or they they feel like, you know, he's just going to give me what I want when I ask him, right? They don't see the relationship back and forth and the the obedience and the disobedience and, and the, man, have you ever gotten a whooping from your parents? I don't know, times are changing fast, and I used to get some whoopings, and I learned some things. Number one thing I learned was my mom loved me enough to stop me. And, and God doesn't get a, a wooden paddle or switch or whatever out. He uses circumstances. He uses time. He uses life to teach us lessons, because he cares. Right? And so the world gets these things twisted up. Let's look at a, a few other passages. In the, in the book of Joshua, there's an incredible promise in the first chapter. We see in verse one that Moses has just died. Joshua was one of the few, one of the two, that made it through from the previous generation, right? He, Joshua and Caleb, wasn't it? Was it Caleb? Yeah. Were the only two that believed the promises of God. The only two that had faith when everybody else was faithless. And they got to move on, and the rest of the generation passed away. It was those two and Moses. And Moses has just passed away. It says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses, uh, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel." Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses, from the wilderness 
and this Lebanon unto the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, and unto the sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, check this out, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. God is faithful. Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law, which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. Anywhere you go, I will be there. Right? Now, the Old Testament is a physical kingdom that we see is being promised here. There are physical requirements. It's a different time. But check out what he says. This is the only time we see the word success. What is the word success tied to in scripture? Meditating day and night in the word of God. Yeah. Being connected to God in a relationship. Right? Being close to him. Oh, and by the way, obeying the things that you read when you're meditating on them. Right? God is giving instruction. He wants you to follow that instruction. Not because he wants you to be a robot or to jump through hoops. Because he has your best interests at heart. He knows how to protect you. Second Chronicles 17.3 And the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the first ways of his father David and sought not unto Balaam. Right? If you read about the kings in, in, in the books of First and Second Chronicles, one king follows the Lord, the next three don't, right? The next one does, the next three don't. And, and they have a relationship with God, and the next ones don't. They have, they, they have a choice to walk in the ways their father David or grandfather or great-grandfather, however far along they are, they have a choice to follow God themselves. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18 says, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is, right? Know what God's word says. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. What we're getting at here is this, this relationship thing. It's a two-way thing. God did not just predetermine, I'm gonna be with Joseph no matter what Joseph does or says or no matter what the situation is. Joseph had the Lord with him because Joseph was with the Lord. Do you understand how that works? Joseph didn't leave God. Joseph knew that God was faithful, so Joseph was faithful in return. He was full of faith. He, he stood on the promises of God in the midst of temptation and trial and the worst times of his life. That's why God was still with him, right? And, and the same thing we're seeing here in this Ephesians verse, don't be, don't be controlled by something else. Be controlled by the Spirit. Be with God. Turn your sail in the direction that God is blowing and allow him to fill you and move you where he's going. I'm with God because, or God's with me because I'm with him. I'm doing what he says to do. I'm, I'm in obedience to his commands. I love him. 
I want to do what he wants me to say, to do, what he's told me to do, what I've seen in his word. That's what I want to do. That's why Joseph was seen as such a man of integrity. That's why Joseph was prosperous. It wasn't just that, man, everything Joseph touches is awesome. God must be with him. Prosperity gospel, right? Get saved and God will make you rich. Yeah, but it's not financial riches. Not necessarily. It's never promised. He promises you have a cross to pick up. You can't cash that in. Joshua 5, 13 through 15. This is an awesome passage and it's one that gives me goosebumps. Verse 13, and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho. They're about to go, you know, kick some tail. He lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua, man, he's ready to, ready to fight. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay. We don't say nay very often. But that means you're asking the wrong question. But as the captain of the host of the Lord am I come. And Joshua realized, so Joshua fell on his face to the earth. This is a good time to fall. And did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. The Lord was with Joshua whithersoever he went, because Joshua was on the right side. Joshua made the right choice. Look, God's not looking for you to ask him to be on your side. He wants to know if you're going to go where he's going. He's a God who moves. And you can join him, and he'll be with you or not. We look at the story of Joseph, and and we think that it's a sure thing. God God was just going to stick with Joseph. But what's beneath the surface is that Joseph was going to stick with God. I had these visions, not me. Joseph had these visions, and these were promises from God. He's going to put me in a place of authority. Today, I'm in a pit. He's going to put me in a place of authority. Today, I'm a slave. It just must not be time yet. God promised. God doesn't lie. God is a God who's faithful. I'm going to stick with that. The question is never about God's faithfulness. That's never in question. That's why we're brought low in the first place, right? God wants to know, and he wants us to know, if we have what it takes. And what it takes is submission. He's not looking for you to rise above on your own. He's looking you to submit so that he can pick you up. You know that if there was no struggle, there would also be no recognition of the problem. You guys realize that? If there was no symptoms, there's no diagnosis. You just die, and you don't know why. If there's no struggle, there's no test, there's no faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. God is not the problem. He is the solution. Christ is the solution. The Lord was with Joseph. This is on your sheet. I don't know if you already got it. The Lord was with Joseph because Joseph was with 
the Lord. Now, there's all kinds of details we don't know. Did Joseph doubt one day and not the next? We don't know. What we see is that Joseph didn't doubt. Joseph stuck with God. We see that it's possible, right? Because we know that the Lord is faithful. And check this out. People knew God was at work. This is on your sheet. People knew God was at work because Joseph gave credit where credit is due, right? If the Egyptians knew that following God made them prosper, don't you know they would have already been doing it? If that was the the evidence, oh, well, this must be God. <sighs> we got that, that God there with the cat head, and he's just kind of a statue. He doesn't give me anything. This must be the real God. No, Joseph had to have given credit. Look, the reason everything's working out is because I walk with the Lord. This is, this is God coming through for me. He was given credit where credit was due. You know he was. The third thing that, that is repeated, the third phrase is that Joseph was made an overseer. He was made an overseer. <coughs> Excuse me. And the key word we see here is, is a stewardship. It's responsibility. And the title is, you know, for tonight is integrity and responsibility. These two things have a very close relationship. If you lack integrity, nobody wants to give you any responsibility. I can promise you that. If you have high integrity, just expect that it's going to come. <clears throat> Second Chronicles 34:17. They have gathered together the money that was found in the house of the Lord and have delivered it into the hand of the overseers and to the hand of the workmen. Right? Who are the overseers? Those are the guys that are doing the work. That's what Joseph was. Joseph was doing the work. He had integrity in the work that he was doing. That's why it was working out. That's why God was blessing it. So think about this in your own life. What, what are you responsible for at work if you have a job already? You know, maybe you've thought to yourself, you know, it sure be nice if, if they'd pay me a little bit more. If I could get a raise. Anybody ever thought that? I've, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, yeah. So if you go to your boss and you say, and, you know, I've, I've, I've been busting my tail for a while. I've been doing the best I can. Man, I, I'd really love to, to, you know, is there any way that I can get a raise? But in the back of the, your mind, you know that's just not true. You haven't been busting your tail quite like you agreed to do when you signed that contract to be paid for what you were going to be paid for the job that you were supposed to do. And that's what it is, isn't it? It's a contract. I agree to do this job for this amount of money. Right? If, if you're just being honest, what employer out there is in business to make you money? Just, just honestly. I mean, businesses are in business to make themselves money. And the reason you have a job is because you have the ability or your job has the ability to make them more money. If you're not, if you're not living up to your potential in that job, you're costing them money. And then you're going to go ask for more? Your employer, if they know what they're doing, if they've counted all the beans, is going to say, hey man, you're welcome to go somewhere else if you want. 
I'll find somebody that can do the little bit of work you can do. Right? If you don't have integrity in the little bit that you have now, who is going to respond by giving you more? It's just not going to happen if they know what they're doing. Because if they don't, and they give you more responsibility or they give you more money, their problem's just magnified a little bit. And that's going to come around and bite them. So why is it okay for your employer to prove you out and see if you're worth investing more money into something that's not going to last, but it's, you know, it's just not fair of God to allow difficulty to come into your life? It's the same thing, isn't it? Your employer is allowed to prove you out to see if you'll do what you said you would do for what you would agree to be paid. But God's not allowed, you know, we, we want him to just take all the adversity away. We want to take all the difficulties away, and I'm the same way. I'm pointing at me too. It's, it's evil of God to allow difficulty in our lives to prove whether or not we're worth investing more in. And that's what he's interested in. He wants you to know it as much as he obviously already knows. Are you worth investing eternal riches in? This is how stewardship works. Genesis 41, 34, let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land. These are the same words. Numbers 150, but thou shalt appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony, over the vessels thereof, and over all things that belong to it. They shall bear the tabernacle. They're going to carry it when we travel. And all the vessels thereof, and they, they shall minister unto it. They're going to put it back together. They're going to run the tabernacle. This is their job. And shall encamp round about the tabernacle. Second Peter is a, a pretty awesome passage. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5-10. through 10, It says, besides this, giving all diligence... That's hard work, that's integrity. Doing the right thing. Add to your faith, that's your belief in Jesus Christ, add to your faith virtue. Virtue is doing what is right. It's doing what you already know to do. And to virtue, add knowledge. And to knowledge, temperance. And to temperance, patience. And to patience, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound... They make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's some proving to do. These are in order. This is not just a list of things you should do, whichever one you want to do. He says, first of all, you start with doing virtue. You do what you know God wants you to do already. You prove that you understand what he's expecting of you, and you're faithful to do it. Then, once you've proven you're going to do what you're going to, you said you would do. Once you've proven you have a little bit of integrity, he says, then you add knowledge. And when you add that knowledge, you know something else that God wants you to do. Because look, just be honest, if, if God had said, hey Matt, here's the list of things wrong with you on day one, yeah, no thanks God. That's too hard. Right? He's, he's smart enough to know that we can only handle just He's only going to light your path one step at a time because you can't handle seeing very far. Amen. You're going to turn tail and run. We all would. Do you have virtue? Do you have integrity in the little things that God's put in your life right now? Don't go around complaining about what you do or don't have because of somebody else. Are you doing what you're supposed to do? 
do you have integrity in your responsibilities? Jesus talks about this to Peter, which, you know, Peter's awesome because he says all the dumb stuff we want to say. Luke chapter 12, verse 41 through 48. Then Peter said unto him, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us or even to all? You know, like, God's letting him have it, and then he speaks a parable, and, and Peter's feeling a little bit of guilt. He's like, was that, was that for me, or is everybody an idiot? <laughs> well, however you need to take that, Peter, right? Whatever, whatever you need. And the Lord said, who then is that faithful and wise steward, whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household, to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Right? When, when your boss checks on you, are you on ESPN? Are you on your phone? Your boss is allowed to check on you. You signed a contract. You can't be mad at him for catching you slacking. Right? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But and if that servant say in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming and shall begin to beat the men's servants and maidens, I mean, that's extreme. Don't do that. And to eat and to drink and to be drunken. The Lord of that servant will come in the day, or in a day, when he looketh not for him, at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in sunder, and will point him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant, which knew his Lord's will, and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes." But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. Look, if you just try a little bit, you're going you're gonna to be better than that guy. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. Look, Spider-Man ripped that off from right there. Uncle Ben ripped off that saying from the Bible. Unto whom much is given... Much is required. That's how stewardship works. If you can't handle the little things, quit complaining about life. God's trying to get you to to recognize you have control over how hard you work. You have control over your integrity. You have control over what you do. You don't have control over what other people do. You have control over how you respond. You have control over your actions and your reactions. And when you lose control and do something stupid or say something stupid, you have control over making it right to the best of your ability. Colossians 3.22 through 24, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. We talked about integrity last week. The only one that integrity really matters to is God. You do the right things for the right reasons because God cares. It doesn't matter what anybody else sees or says or thinks. God thinks all the time about what you do. He thinks all the time about who you are. He cares. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily, heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that the Lord, or of the Lord, you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. You work for God. Remember, know ye not that ye are not your own? You have been bought with a price. 
And so the, the next blank, or the last blank there, God employs those who respond with integrity into his operations. He wants to know if you can handle little things because he's got really important plans for you. He wants to know if you'll have integrity in your job because there are supernatural, eternal value things that he wants you involved in. He wants you to be used to change people's lives for all of eternity. But you don't have integrity at your minimum wage job. You don't have integrity in your homework. You don't have integrity in the little things that don't matter. Why is he going to give you something that does? That's what he's saying. Joseph had it. Joseph had it in the little things, and God was blessing the little things, and then, then Potiphar was like, dude, this guy's, this guy's money in the bank. This carnal boss knew, if I just keep this guy around, stuff works out. I don't understand it, but he's my good luck charm. I'm going to keep this guy close, because everything he does, look, it was to the point it said Potiphar only knew what he owned because it landed on his plate. Everything else, he says the word all like seven times in two or three verses, maybe five times. All of it was in Joseph's hands because Joseph was faithful, was faithful in the little things because Joseph had integrity in the little things because that mattered to him because he knew it mattered to God. God cares about all of it because it's all a matter of the heart. It's all an issue of your heart. So if you follow the progression, God's going to allow difficulty in your life in order to prove you, with the intention of giving you more. If you're proven faithful. If you're proven unfaithful, there won't be additional stewardship. He's not going to do it. If he finds integrity, he can and he will trust you with more. He's, he's promised that. We'll end with this verse. First Peter chapter 1, verses 6-9, through nine, it says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, Though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, and whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory." Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. How in the world can I rejoice in a trial? By knowing the trial is purifying you. The trial is proving you. Just like the process with silver. If it goes away, you stay the same. Without it... I think I'm okay. It sounds strange to rejoice, but the trial is pointing you to Christ. The trial is pointing others to Christ as you're looking to Christ. Because he is the answer. The trial is making you more like Jesus, and, and maybe you don't know that. That's a really good thing. To be more like Jesus. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you so much again for the fact that you care enough to allow us to struggle because we just get so inner-focused uh, and we need life to, to snap us out of it sometimes. 
None of us want trials. None of us want to sign up for it. None of us want to ask to be put in the balance. Uh, But we know you care enough to put us there. We know that you care enough to prove us. We know that you care enough to be there with us the whole time. We're so thankful that you put yourself in the worst way before you ever asked us to follow. We're so thankful that you conquered sin and death. I'm so thankful that though we were all sinners, separated from you, you put yourself on the cross, you took the penalty for sin, and you made the way. Thank you for that, Lord. Lord, I pray that tonight we would, we would just do an evaluation and look at ourselves and look at our own integrity. Do we want people to, to say we have integrity, to think we have integrity, or do we want you to know we have it? That's what I want, Lord. That's all that matters. We love you. We, we pray that you were glorified tonight, and uh, we pray that you enjoy this song that we're going to finish with. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.